Thursday, April 5th, and this is VOA's International Edition. I am Chinedua for in Washington. Coming up in the next half hour, President Joe Biden calls for war crimes trial against Russian President Vladimir Putin over Ukraine killings. The president spoke to reporters after Ukrainian officials said more than 400 civilian bodies have been found in towns retaken from Russian forces. The WHO reports that air pollution kills more than 7 million people each year. New data released by the World Health Organization confirms that practically the whole world is breathing in unhealthy air. And activists express concern about declining media freedom in Ethiopia. We'll have these stories and more next on International Edition. Stay tuned. U.S. President Biden says Vladimir Putin needs to face a war crimes trial for atrocities in Ukraine. This as Moscow faces global revulsion and accusations of war crimes after Russia's pullout from the outskirts of Kyiv revealed streets littered with corpses. There appear to be civilians, some of whom had seemingly been killed deliberately at close range. Associated Press Washington correspondent Sagar Magani reports. This guy is brutal. The president spoke to reporters after Ukrainian officials said more than 400 civilian bodies have been found in towns retaken from Russian forces. Ukrainian leader Volodymyr Zelensky says Moscow's committing genocide, but the president stopped short of that. No, I think it is a war crime. And says while the U.S. will keep giving Ukraine weapons it needs, it will also help gather details so Putin can stand trial. Sagar Megan at the White House. The discovery of bodies of civilians allegedly killed by Russian troops in Ukraine has sparked global outrage and calls for trials of the perpetrators, including President Vladimir Putin. Ukrainian President Vladimir Zelensky called the killings a, quote, genocide, unquote. Analysts are divided on what constitutes a war crime and genocide and are skeptical the Russian leader will ever be brought to trial. For more, I spoke with Rosa Cirelio. She is the associate dean of International and Comparative Legal Studies, and Burnett Family Professoral Lecturer in International and Comparative Law and Policy at George Washington University Law School. War crimes under international law are breaches of international law committed against civilians or enemy combatants during an international or domestic armed conflict. This is what we call international humanitarian law. And there are a number of sources of law within this area. One of them is the Geneva Conventions under additional protocols, but we also have the Rome Statute, and we also have accepted rules of customary international law. And a war crime can be many things, according to international law. But in this particular context, attacks against civilians is definitely a major one, and also against civilian objects, also attacking hospitals and residential areas any sort of willful killing against either civilians or enemy combatants, forms of torture, for example, of prisoners of war, taking hostages. And what's really key here is to understand that this law applies to all persons participating in hostilities, but also commanders of forces who knew or had reason to know that these crimes were being committed. Genocide is different under international law. It's also part of international humanitarian law but a genocide needs to have a level or an intent to destroy. You need to prove an intent to destroy in whole or in part a national, ethnic, racial, or religious group. From the evidence, do you think there still needs a further investigation or the evidence speaks for itself in this case? Well, I think that in all cases related to international law, there has to be an investigation, right? There has to be documentation. And what we're seeing right now is an extensive level of documentation, especially of war crimes 
and we're seeing very important organizations like Human Rights Watch, for example, credible organizations that have documented specific cases of war crimes that have spoken to survivors. And we actually have also important investigations open by major international instances, like for example, the International Criminal Court. We have a United Nations High Commissioner for Human Rights also calling or creating an independent inquiry to investigate this crime. So right now we are at a moment where we're calling fact that we're seeing evidence indicating that these crimes are happening, but also we are documenting these crimes. And the goal at the end of the day is accountability, accountability internationally. And in these cases, you want accountability nationally as to the extent possible. Is Russian President Vladimir Putin liable or accountable for what has happened so far? There is an investigation opened by the International Criminal Court, which is based in The Hague. It's an independent court that investigates war crimes, crimes against humanity, genocide, and also crimes of aggression. This investigation was actually open after a call by 39 countries, really demanding accountability and an investigation of these war crimes. This is a court that doesn't hold countries responsible. It holds individuals responsible, so it could technically hold Vladimir Putin eventually responsible. Um, but it doesn't try cases in absentia, which means that it would have to either arrest Vladimir Putin or the Russian authorities would have to hand him over. There would have to be a way, you know, to be able to try him and also sentence him as it has sentenced other perpetrators um, in the past. I think something that's important also to keep in mind when you're analyzing potential forms of accountability and war crimes, etc., is that there's also another regime that's applicable here under international law, it's international human rights law, and it applies both in times of armed conflicts and times of peace, and there's a lot of an extensive reporting war crimes and human rights violations happening within the conflict, um, and there's many ways of exerting pressure also to states, not only individuals, not only to suspend military activities and end this war earlier, but also to reap consequences or I would say soft forms of accountability for acts like the ones that are happening in the Ukraine right now. That's Rosa Solorio, Associate Dean for International and Comparative Legal Studies and Burnett Family Professorial Lecturer in International and Comparative Law and Policy, George Washington University Law School. She spoke with me from Washington, D.C. The United Nations says 4 million people have fled Ukraine since the start of Russia's invasion. The vast majority are women and children, populations that are especially vulnerable to human trafficking. Lysia Bakaletz has the story narrated by Anna Rice. According to the latest UN data, a large proportion of Ukrainian refugees, mostly women and children, fled to Poland after Russia invaded Ukraine. Many spent days waiting to cross the border. Since the very start of Russia's aggression, human rights activists have been warning refugees that they could be targeted by human traffickers. Human rights activist Yulia Nosova says human trafficking typically involves both sexual exploitation and violence. Polish police have already registered two cases of rape among refugees. Volunteers are working to inform women who might be at risk. Refugees also risk being exploited at work. The scheme is very simple. Living quarters may be offered for free at first. And once the refugees arrive, they find out it's anything but free. Human rights activists emphasize such actions are illegal. Half of the displaced Ukrainians are children. 
Some cross the border without any papers. Some cross the border alone, without parents. Such children are at risk of ending up with someone suspicious or worse. The organization called Missing Children Europe asks refugees to immediately report any missing children using their hotline. They also encourage adults to be watchful. And if they see a child looking lost and alone in the street, to immediately alert local authorities. For women, there is also advice about how not to become a victim of human traffickers. Experts also advise refugees to take pictures of important documents on their phone, stay in a group, and keep handy the phone number for the police in any country they enter. It's also important to have contact information for volunteers and aid groups and keep in touch with relatives and close friends so that as many people as possible know the location of each refugee. For Lesya Bakalets in Washington, Anna Rice, VOA News. In other news, a new report from the UN's top body of climate scientists is warning that temperatures will go beyond a key danger point unless countries worldwide cut greenhouse emissions faster than they are currently committed to doing. Released Monday, the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change report found the limit for global warming agreed in the 2015 Paris Accord would be missed if countries continue to release as much planet heating gas as planned. That will significantly increase the risk of harm to billions around the globe. UN Chief Antonio Guterres said the report revealed, quote, a litany of broken climate promises, unquote, by governments and corporations. For more on this story and other breaking news, visit our website at voanews.com. Remember to connect with us on social media. We are on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Search for VOA Africa. You are listening to VOA's International Edition. I am Chine Rofo in Washington. The World Health Organization reports 13 million people die every year from environmental causes, including more than 7 million who are killed each year from exposure to air pollution. Lisa Schlein reports for VOA from Geneva. New data released by the World Health Organization confirms that practically the whole world is breathing in unhealthy air. The WHO is calling for urgent action to curb the use of fossil fuels to reduce air pollution levels. This, it says, threatened the health of billions of people, leading to the preventable deaths of millions. Sophie Gumi is technical officer in WHO's Department of Environment, Climate Change and Health. She says the data show air quality is porous, notably in the Eastern Mediterranean, Southeast Asian and African regions. Most of the 7 million deaths, they come from, uh, from, uh, they come from low and middle income countries. Indeed, they do. Um, it doesn't mean that uh, in the high income countries are not impacted. Uh, you know, when we, we are using mortality to calculate the impact of air pollution on health, however, we are very much aware that you should actually count for morbidity. I mean, all the disease that it creates, is all the there are a lot of costs associated with air pollution, which is not necessarily captured in the death. The WHO report says significant harm is being done by even low level of many air pollutants. It says particulate matter can penetrate deep into the lungs and enter the bloodstream. This can cause cardiovascular disease, stroke, and respiratory impacts. It says nitrogen oxide, or NO2, 
can cause asthma and other respiratory diseases. The director of WHO's Department of Environment, Climate Change, and Health, Maria Nera, says particulate matter can affect almost every organ in the body. She calls this a major health issue, one which overlaps with the causes of climate change. As such, she says, the causes of air pollution should be tackled in a similar fashion. We need to accelerate the transition to clean, modern, and sustainable renewable sources of energy. I think we will all agree that our dependence on fossil fuels for 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 uh, generating our electric our energy is uh, it needs to change if we want to protect our health. WHO recommends measures including building safe and affordable public transport systems, implementing stricter vehicle emissions, investing in energy efficient housing and power generation, and improving industry and municipal waste management. Lisa Schlein for VOA News, Geneva. A historic deal between India and Australia have many business leaders cheering, but industries left out of the agreement are urging Canberra to continue negotiations. The interim pact announced Saturday comes after more than a decade of talks. From Sydney, Phil Mercer reports. Analysts have said that Australia is eager to reduce its reliance on China, its biggest trading partner. After diplomatic tensions in recent years prompted Beijing to impose sanctions on some Australian goods. Australian coal, wine and other commodities have been hit by various restrictions introduced by Chinese authorities. This dispute stems in part from Australia's call for an independent inquiry into the origins of COVID-19. Beijing interpreted the demand as criticism of its handling of the virus that was first detected in Wuhan, China. The agreement with India is an attempt by Australia to diversify its commercial ties. Australian Prime Minister Scott Morrison said his government hadn't betrayed Ukraine by signing a trade deal with India, which has refused to condemn the Russian invasion. Morrison said his government had discussed the war in Ukraine with India, adding that he didn't think that anyone can question Australia's commitment to supporting the people of Ukraine after Canberra imposed various sanctions and agreed to supply missiles. The trade deal removes tariffs on more than 85% of Australian exports to India, including coal, wool and copper. It covers more than 95% of Indian goods imported by Australia, such as textiles, leather and jewellery. Prime Minister Scott Morrison said Saturday that the agreement would boost Australian prosperity. We open one of the biggest economic doors there is to open in the world today. We've been working on this for many years, the last three and a half years in particular. We are opening the biggest door of one of the biggest economies in the world in India. However, some agricultural industries, including dairy, chickpeas and beef, were left out of the interim agreement. Rick Gladigal, president of the Australian Dairy Industry Council, hopes that a comprehensive free trade agreement will help local dairy farmers. Something would be better than nothing to start with. You don't want to be left completely out of a free trade agreement. This is why we're doing them for, so that there's benefits going both ways. I don't want to see that dairy gets nothing. Both countries will continue to work towards a full free trade agreement. India is Australia's seventh largest trade partner. 
Two-way trade in goods and services was worth $18.3 billion in 2020. Phil Mercer for VOA News, Sydney. The case of a journalist for the Associated Press accused of abetting a government-designated terrorist group for reporting on rebels highlights Ethiopia's decline in media freedom, advocates say. VOA's Salem Solomon has the story. Amir Aman Kiaro is back home with his family after a four-month ordeal in an Ethiopian prison. But the video journalist for the Associated Press could still face jail if convicted of violating anti-terrorism and wartime state of emergency laws. First arrested in November, Amir is accused of illegally communicating with members of a group the government designated as a terrorist organization. Under a state of emergency that was in place until February, journalists could be penalized for interviewing members of armed groups, including the Oromo Liberation Army. Amir and a freelancer, Thomas Ngada, were detained but never charged, the AP says. With a shrinking space for reporting, several Ethiopian journalists called on the government to respect media rights. In 2021 alone, their open letter says 46 journalists were detained, making Ethiopia one of the worst jailers of journalists in Africa. With little coverage of daily life in rebel-controlled regions like Oromia, the work of reporters like Amir is vital, says Zakarias. Very few journalists have been able to gain access to areas under control uh, of the OLA. And what life has been like for hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people in these areas, much of which have been um, subjected to internet and phone outages, we don't have an, an accurate picture of. Amir's lawyer, Tadele Gabramedin, says his client has been ordered to not leave the country until the case is investigated. He's accused of working with foreign media outlets and, quote, spoiling the country's development plans, end quote, through negative reporting. VOA reached out to the Office of the Prime Minister, the Communications Ministry, and the Attorney General's Office requesting comment, but received no response. Phillips says it's important to shine a light on cases like this. We will continue to uh, cover the story of uh, journalists who are unjustly held. Um, the, this is not uh, acceptable behavior. These are arbitrary detentions. If there, if there is proof of uh, something, then that evidence has to be surfaced and has to go through um, a proper... A trial process. Um, uh, it's something that is extremely important to us at the AP and to our peer news organizations. For now, Amir is free, but the risk of arrest for those in media is ever present. Salem Solomon, VOA News, Washington. This is Science in a Minute. The National Human Genome Research Institute at the National Institutes of Health is reporting that researchers have created the first complete gapless sequence of a human genome. A gapless sequence is valuable in genetic research because for the first time, researchers will have access to a complete sequence of the roughly 3 billion bases or letters of our DNA. According to a press release from the NHGRI, up until now, researchers had access to about 92% of the human genome. Adam Filippi, Ph.D., who co-chairs the Telomere to Telomere Consortium that led the research group, says, quote, truly finishing the human genome sequence was like putting on a new pair of glasses. Now we can clearly see everything. We are one step closer to understanding what it all means, end quote. I'm VOA's Rick Pantaleo. Go beyond the daily headlines with VOA's Flashpoint Ukraine. Each weekday at 1935 UTC, join me, Steve Miller, as I put the latest developments into a global context with interviews and analysis. 
Listen online at voanews.com slash Flashpoint or in your favorite podcast player. Fans, brighten your day by tuning into the sunny side of sports Monday through Friday at 1630 and 1830 UTC. Join us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash VOA Sunny and on Twitter at VOA Sunny Sports. Or check out the blog at blogs.voanews.com forward slash sunny. It's the sunny side of sports right here on the Voice of America. They're still trying to figure out what are the specific policies from the White House. VOA Asia, your daily digest of top Asia stories. Beijing has especially hazardous levels of air pollution. Blending American and Asian perspectives. China is protecting wildlife. Original reports and series. Education, health, technology. Stories that mean something to your daily life. VOA Asia. international edition on the voice of america on behalf of the entire production team thank you so much for listening visit our website for in-depth coverage of world events and news 24 hours a day at voanews.com until next time i am chinedo in washington wishing you a wonderful day Editorial reflecting the views of the United States government. The Taliban have barred private television stations in Afghanistan from airing Voice of America, British Broadcasting Corporation, and German Deutsche Welle news programs. VOA denounced the Taliban for taking its programs off the air. In a statement, acting VOA director Yolanda Lopez said, We ask the Taliban to reconsider this troubling and unfortunate decision. The content restrictions that the Taliban are attempting to impose are antithetical to freedom of expression, that the people of Afghanistan deserve. VOA produces a half-hour news bulletin in Pashto and Dari, the two main languages spoken in Afghanistan, five days a week for its Afghan partners, Tolo News and Shamshad TV. VOA remains committed to broadcasting the truth, said Lopez. Our commitment to providing factual information to the people of Afghanistan is one that the Voice of America will continue on television, radio, and the Internet on www.pashtovoa.com and www.darivoa.com, as well as on social media. The head of languages at BBC World Service, Tari Kafala, called on the Taliban to immediately restore its news bulletins. Such a ban, he said, is a worrying development at a time of uncertainty and turbulence for the people of Afghanistan. 
This is the latest in a series of moves the Taliban has taken to stifle freedom of expression in Afghanistan since seizing control of the country last August. According to a survey released by Reporters Without Borders in December, at least 40% of Afghan media outlets have disappeared, and more than 80% of women journalists lost their jobs since the Taliban takeover of the country. Human Rights Watch researcher Fareshta Abbasi reported in February that Taliban harassment and attacks on journalists outside major urban areas have largely gone unreported, causing media outlets in outlying provinces to self-censor or close altogether. In many provinces, the Taliban have virtually eliminated reporting on a wide range of issues and have driven women journalists out of the profession, she said. State Department spokesperson Ned Price said in a statement, The United States is committed to supporting the right of freedom of expression the world over, especially for journalists and human rights defenders, to operate freely without fear of violence against them. The U.S. is committed to supporting the right of freedom of expression and continues to stand with the Afghan people. That was an editorial reflecting the views of the United States government. 